Hey everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Creative Consumption. Uh, I'm Daniel Schwartzberg, the host of the show. Thank you guys for for listening and for tuning in. Really, um, yeah, this podcast has been a passion and project of mine and of my brother, Nathan, for a while now. And it, it really means a lot that you're tuning in, so thank you. If you've had a chance to listen to the, the little promo trailer thing, awesome. And if not, uh, here's the really quick Cliff Notes rundown of what the show is about. After graduating college and for the past few years, I've really been struggling with that question of how do people who love to create and do so for a living and also as a passion, how do they balance doing the creating, but also taking some time to watch movies or get inspired by books or shows or musicals or whatever it is that inspires them? And how does that balance work? Because eventually you need to create something, but also at the same time, you need to take a break or you need to get inspired by something else. So that creative process has been something that I've been really fascinated about. So I decided to start this show as a way of exploring that question with other people, other creators, and seeing how they deal with that sort of problem and conundrum in their lives. I also want to make a very quick disclaimer. Even though these interviews are in person, as you can hear, they actually were recorded prior to the shutdown and prior to the pandemic. Uh, so just so you're aware, I am currently social distancing and trying to do as much of the uh, follow as many guidelines as we can to make sure everyone does stay safe. So please just know that I I hope that you are all staying safe and that whatever you can do to continue to stay safe, I hope you're all doing that and that these interviews are not reflective of the current climate that we're in. Um, just wanted to make sure I clarified that point. Now, for the first person I got to talk to about this, I was really excited that it is Zoe Engelbert. Zoe is an Emmy-nominated musician and songwriter, uh, and she has a phenomenal career both as a solo musician, writing her own songs and singing her own material, but she's also really well known for the work she's done with her family, with her two siblings, uh, Ariel and Eli. They had a TV show on, actually they've had a couple of TV shows on, which is where the Emmy nomination comes from, uh, and they continue to perform together. And actually, now Zoe is a member of an acapella group with her siblings and a couple of other people. Uh, full disclosure, I'm actually one of the members of that group. I don't even, I'm not sure I mentioned that in the interview, but that's one of their current projects they're working on. Um, in addition, Zoe she loves to knit and crochet she is an incredibly crafty person and truly one of the most thoughtful people i know about using art to express herself but also as a way to kind of channel her passions so i really loved getting to talk with zoe about these sort of things and i hope you guys enjoy this interview and thank you again for listening Zoe, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Daniel. Of course, of course. Uh, I, you know, we should clink our tea glasses here. I think oh, yes, just yes, like yes. yesterday. Clink. There we go. Oh yeah, take a little. This is like a little. Still very hot. <laughs> oh wow, that is hot. That is really hot still. <laughs> wow, I think I burned my tongue. I also spilled it on myself. All right, good start. Good start. A great start. Um, the first time I didn't spill my tea on myself in like this whole weekend. You know, so I'm very, I'm, I'm very impressed. Uh, you do a lot of things like i was saying you're a musician you are 
a crafts craftsman uh, or craftswoman. Uh, yeah, crochet, yeah. Cr- yeah, you crochet. You make beautiful art. You make beautiful gifts. I feel very lucky that I have some of your gifts at home. Oh, thanks. And I get to wear some of your gifts. I get to display some of your gifts on my desk. I would love to talk with you about how you started in music, where you actually started with getting inspired to make so much music. Yeah, um, that's interesting. So um, Ariel is my identical twin sister. We've been fans of Disney forever. So when we were really little, we'd just sing all the Disney duets and um, we'd make it easy for each other. She would just take the princess lines. I'd be the prince. We would harmonize. We didn't realize that was like a special thing with harmonizing and singing together and apparently staying on key. Again, we were like babies. We don't know this. We don't know these things. Um, We learned during piano lessons that we had perfect pitch, but again, still didn't know what that meant. We were eight years old. Uh, When we were in third, no, fourth grade, we learned the song Rainbow Connection for our I love that song. It's a great song. Yeah. And my dad heard us singing it in the school show and he was like, you know, I'd love to take them to the recording studio and have them hear what it sounds like when, like, to hear their voices on a track. And he took us to the recording studio. We recorded Rainbow Connection. He sent it out to a couple of radio personalities here in Detroit. And Dick Purton, who is a huge Detroit radio personality, he played it on his station. And that day, the Pistons called the Detroit Pistons. And they said, do they know the national anthem? And we did in two-part harmony. Um, and that started a that's, streak. That's a one way to get a call to uh, a call to your... Your calling, yeah. your fame. Yeah, it was like kind of unplanned. And uh, we just did a bunch of national anthems. And then Fred Wilpon was at one of them. And he asked us if we wanted to sing for the Mets at um, Shea Stadium. The last year Shea Stadium was there. That was our first is trip he, to New was York. He, is Fred Wilpon the manager or something of the stadium? or I'm going to sound so unprofessional when I say I can't remember what he I, does. I don't even know his name. So He's see, a, you're... like a crazy like billionaire, I think. Not, right? He's not crazy. Just the fact no, I know. Like the amount of money he has amassed, yeah. right? Yeah. Anybody who's a billionaire is probably is crazy in the sense that they have managed the incredible crazy feat of making a billion dollars. They unlocked the secret, so therefore, you know, they yeah. know something we don't. Yeah, let them tell us those secrets seriously. I could <laughs> use some of those secrets. That's really cool. So you guys got to go to the Mets and mm-hmm. sing for the Mets? And the next year, we did it again, but for the first year of City Field. And then that turned into a military base tour where we sang and did concerts around military bases. Our brother Eli was our MC at the time, which is funny to think about because he's such a, an amazing musician now. He'd introduce us. He'd be like, these are my big sisters, Ariel and Zoe. And we wouldn't come out immediately because we'd be fighting over something. All staged, of course. We used to dance, too. This is crazy. Uh, we also used to wear sweater vests and these Great. silly hats that hid the microphone headband thing. Okay. It was a look. I will tell you about that. That was a look. I'm glad it's no longer a look. There must be picture evidence somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if you look up Operation Sweet Company, it comes up. So how did you feel about all that? Was that exciting? Was it a little bit nerve-wracking, all of the above? It was amazing. I, I was never nervous about any of that stuff. I, I mean, the most nervous I was was before the Pistons game. My dad thought I was nervous about the crowds, but... Truth be told, I'd taken my glasses off. I couldn't see the crowd. The honor guard behind me had a rifle that was bigger than I was. And that thing scared me because it was so big. And I was so, so small. I was a shrimp growing up. So it sounds like you weren't really scared by the performing part. You were maybe made nervous by the context. But performing was always something that you felt comfortable doing. Yeah, it's always felt natural. The TV shows were a little nerve-wracking to begin with. How did you get into... How did that develop into the TV shows? It came after the tour. It was... My dad might have better answers on that one because I was 
I think nine at the time we started talking about that. Um, but yeah, there's there was the first TV show which came right after the military base tour. And that was called Ariel Zoe and Eli Two, and that was a uh, family variety music show, which was very funny. It featured a lot of green screen work, so none of our sets, well, not none of them, but a good amount of our sets were not real. They were animated. Had you ever watched any shows that were like the show you were trying to make? Well, the closest I could think of with, of course, being the green screen was Blue's Clues, but um, no, not so much. I don't think I'd ever seen a show like what we did. I'm, I'm sure my dad had growing up. I think that kind of style of show was a little more popular back in the day, but I had never seen one quite like it. Was it cool to be on a TV show? It was. It really was. Looking back, I'll like laugh at myself and I won't watch it. But like I, at the time, it was really cool. I mean, it still is. I, I don't want to sound like it's it's not cool. Like, oh my God, I wish I hadn't done TV. But no, I love doing TV. Did you think of performing on the TV show as being different from when you got to perform, quote unquote, live, like in those concerts or in the tours? Yeah, it was actually very different. On TV, it's always lip synced. Like, no, not like, because like our show was never like a live thing. Oh, it was okay. always like a lip synced thing. So we learned how to lip sync very young. Um, we uh, We had a band in the TV show called Sugar Station. So we learned how to make it look like we were playing well we did record them ourselves but we had to make it look like we were playing in the videos even if we weren't plugged into anything because you've had that experience are you now able to watch other movies or tv shows where they have to record things and are you really easily able to see oh there's a little inconsistency or oh there's a little skip I noticed one in an animated Disney movie where a syllable didn't match up. In the animated movie? Mm-hmm. I feel like those should be like matched up because you don't have to worry about the humans. You have yeah. to just draw. Well, you know, I'm, hey, drawing animated movies <laughs> takes years, so I'm not at all putting those down. But Yeah, like her lips were on an ooh, and she was singing an ah, and I was like, how did they not notice that? Did you become very detail-oriented because that was something that you had to be so attentive to? Yeah, because, like, I mean, one word wrong, and it's pretty noticeable especially if you're in unison and singing the same words as everybody else or if you just suddenly stop singing that's also very easy to tell and at that point had you already started writing your own songs for the show or when did that start no i didn't start writing songs until i was 14 actually when we were working on the second tv show okay so second tv show i didn't even know that there was two eras to it oh yeah the second tv show that's actually the one that got the emmy nomination it was the second one uh, it was called Steal the Show, and we worked with a man named Jim Peterick who wrote Eye of the Tiger, and he was in Survivor, and he was he wrote all the songs for 38 Special, wow. The Ides of March, he wrote the song Vehicle when he was like, I think, 19, which is crazy, because I was, I mean, that was a hit. So you got to work with him to write the songs or to help produce the show? How was that collaboration? So it started where he heard about, we had a strong anti-bullying message in the first TV show. That okay. was something we felt very strongly about. And he heard about that, and he felt strongly about it, too. And he wrote a song called Hey Bully, which is the first song we did together. We didn't realize it was going to progress into, like, a whole thing where we, he was like, you know, I've got other songs that you guys could sing. And we were like, hey, we got songs that we can work on. And he ended up, like, he collaborated with Ariel. He collaborated with Lili. And my, uh, my first and actually only collaboration on that show with him was the one that got the Emmy nomination. We all worked on that together. That's really cool. What was the song? Uh, it was called Just Keep Swimming. It was in honor of Talia Joy Castellano, who was a makeup artist on YouTube. Uh, she passed away at the age of 13 from childhood cancer. Did you know her personally? I didn't, but I know her sister and her mom now, thanks to the song reaching the level that it did. That's really wonderful. So you got the second TV show, and you said that was around when you started writing your own songs? Yeah. Once I got a ukulele, I really found a songwriting groove because before that I only played drums and a little bit of bass 
and you, it's really hard to write songs on percussion. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's mostly usually the backbeat of a song, not the front. Although there are yeah. some fantastic, famous drummers, right? Obviously. Yeah. So it's really hard to be a songwriter and only play drums. So when you first started writing songs, what songwriter or what genre were you trying to emulate? Oh, I got my ukulele. Well, first of all, Eli had gotten the ukulele, but um, I was really into Marina and the Diamonds at the time. Well, now she's just Marina rebrand. But um, I, I had seen that she had posted a picture with a pink ukulele that she said she didn't know how to play, but she looked at and it was hers. And I'm like, well, I need a pink ukulele and I'm going to learn all of her songs on my pink ukulele. And the, the rest is history. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you wrote a song? Um, oh, which one was it? The earliest memory really with that is Just Keep Swimming, but I know there were a couple of songs before that. All of my songs when I was younger were romantic, despite the fact that I had never been in any sort of relationship. I was also homeschooled, so I didn't know anybody. These were all, a lot of my songs at the time were based off things that were fictitious, like from a book I read or a TV show that I watched or a friend, like literally nothing involving myself personally. That writing songs about actual experience is a fairly recent concept for me. Okay. So you found it, was it because you found it more exciting to write about stories that you were reading or external experiences that weren't yours? Or was it that you didn't want to write about personal experiences? It's just that like being homeschooled and at the time only having like one friend and not really having much of a social life and not being a partier. Like I literally was just such a homebody and the only time I'd go out would be to record. Uh, so I just didn't have a lot of personal experience to write from did songwriting provide a route of escapism in some ways yeah i've always loved writing i've always loved especially like creative writing and songwriting in its own little ways i mean a lot of people will say it's poetry but i feel like it's more creative than well not that poetry is not creative don't at me poets um but yeah so you mentioned homeschooling and i know you were homeschooled and if i recall correctly you also did go to public school or to a more quote-unquote generic schooling experience for a while i did how did that play into growing up how did that play into your creativity and things like that um well i'm when i was in public school i was in public school from kindergarten until about halfway through seventh grade um so the first few years of elementary school of course were normal we weren't performers until a few years in elementary school um and ariel and i were very we were actually pretty social kids. We would always, we, especially we'd like call our friends on the phone, which is something I don't even call people on the phone now if I can, if I can help it. I rarely even pick up my phone. <laughs> I think most of the time it's just a spam caller. It is. I'm sure it is. So homeschooling was something that you transitioned into out of public school? Yeah. We, um, since with the TV shows starting, our schedule got a little crazy. Sure. Some teachers were okay with letting us make up the work and some teachers really didn't let us make up the work. So they would just give us bad grades they wouldn't give us the homework to do and we would never know what we were doing because they wouldn't tell us and our friends of course you know tried but nothing much they could do they knew just as much as we did except maybe a little bit of a textbook as well were you excited to be homeschooled at first no at first i was like oh my gosh i'm leaving all my friends behind and then i realized i really didn't have that many friends which is sad but also made it a little bit easier it wasn't really much of a loss. I mean, Ariel, I, like we were not by any means popular. People thought the TV, like we were either asked a lot of weird questions about the television show or people straight up just didn't like it. Um, and they were very vocal about it. Um, again, this is why we had such a strong anti-bullying stance because we, we dealt with it. We had experienced it both online and in school. 
So it actually came from more from a personal side when you had yeah. that anti-bullying theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did transitioning to homeschool impact the kind of things you wanted to make and impact the kind of creative side of you? Did it change it at all? And we we finally had time to actually like work on the things we wanted to work on. We had more time to work on the television stuff. We had more time to work on music. We had more time to actually study, which is crazy considering like, you know, when you're traveling as much as we were, we actually still found time to work on our studies. I mean, we graduated early even. At this point, you're both on the TV show, you're writing music, you're also studying, right? That's Mm -hmm. more the kind of school side of things. But in creative pursuits, you've got those two main avenues it sounds like the tv show and music and they're kind of tied together in some ways they are yeah did you have a preference to one over the other like were you particularly pulled to the tv side or particularly pulled to the music side well they both went so hand in hand but um with tv i had a greater chance of being in a costume so maybe i might have leaned more towards tv also i literally haven't even like recorded much of my own music yet and I've written so much since the time I was 14 so I think the fact that like with tv I could get more done like I'm a very I I I prize productivity I love when I'm being productive I'm happiest when I'm productive so with the television show you know we'd get a lot done at once and I think when you're you know when you're writing music and you're not releasing it and it's just sitting there building up it doesn't feel as productive as like actually going and working on something where the end product will be seen so actually finishing something that then gets displayed for other people to experience felt yeah. more fulfilling. Yeah, because like, I love sharing, you know, like it's it's great to be able to share those things of the world. Also, songwriting is super vulnerable. Like sharing your songwriting is like difficult. I'm honestly probably wouldn't have even had the courage back then to even share it just yet. So it's probably for the best that it hasn't that like I'm finally getting to that now. When you did write a song, who was the first person you would go to share it with? Well... Technically speaking, I guess it would be Ariel because we share a room, but I technically would go to my dad first because, you know, he would write, he, he wrote the TV show, he produced the TV shows. Would you guys have a discussion about whether it would be put in the show? Most of my songs didn't actually make it into the show. At the time when I, we were, especially when Sugar Station was going really strong, I wasn't in the songwriting group yet. I wrote two songs for it and they were heavily, heavily co-written. I don't think I, I really don't remember putting that much into it, but I must have. Um, but I only did two, there was one song called Come Out of the Dark, which every now and then someone comments about that on Facebook and I'm like, that's wild that you remember that. Good for you. That's, you qualify for the the senior discount. Yeah. And then the other one was called Just About Perfect, which as I was saying before, romantic, no experience. I know we've had this discussion in other times, but I don't always think you have to have the personal experience to write a song about something. Although... Oftentimes people will read into it that you were writing about yourself. Yeah. Has that ever been a deterrent for you to not write about something, even if it's not something you've experienced, because you're afraid people will say, oh, Zoe must be feeling X, or this represents how Zoe feels? Um, I've just straight up lied what so- about what songs mean. Um, if I don't want someone to question it, I will lie about its origin. Really? If I really want to lie about it, I'll even go and change a pronoun. Um, so it's very, very clearly not about a specific person. So you would prefer people don't associate what's in your songs with you personally, except from the fact that you wrote them. More about who it's about. Like, if, like if, I'm definitely like 
if a song's a story, I'm definitely a character in it. I'm definitely like the narrator. But sometimes, this, like typically, especially with the newer stuff I've been working on, the substance is about people I know or people I've been around or had to work with. And if I really don't want them figuring out who that person is, I'll go change a pronoun. I'll be like, I don't know where this came from. I just came to, or it came to me in a dream. Although now they're not going to take it seriously because one seriously did just come to me in a dream. You mentioned Marina and the Diamonds. Mm-hmm. Were there other inspirations, either music or visually related when it comes to the TV show that you guys were paying close attention to? Mm-hmm. Um, around the time when I got my ukulele, I think that was, I think that was the same year I started cosplaying. So I've, was getting into all sorts of nerd culture at the time. I was intru- uh, It started when I was watching The Legend of Korra on Nickelodeon. And my friend came over and said, are you guys watching The Legend of Korra? And I thought she was going to judge me. And I went, oh, no, well, maybe like one or two episodes. And she goes, I love that show. And I've seen all of it. And we're like, oh, thank God we did too. No um, judgment. See? No ju- it's a great show. So some animated shows, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Uh, yeah. Any other, I don't know, shows, books? Uh, I I had gotten into a thing called Vocaloid, which are these Japanese characters. They actually, they they sing and their holograms go on tour. It is honestly super cool. But it's it's music. And I, you know, I love music. My first cosplay was from Vocaloid. So, I mean, I think Vocaloid probably had an influence. Like, it was a lot of pop music at the time. But um, a lot of the stories that I would write about were were influenced by comics I was reading and video games I was playing. Like Crusade, for example, it's one of our our top songs on Spotify. Um, that was about Assassin's Creed, like the first game. But oh, okay. instead of being about Altair, I just changed the pronouns to she, so it would be. I, but technically, I'm Altair in that situation. Okay. Um, and then uh, there's a song called "Okay," which I'm sure people have heard this a million times. It's about it's inspired by the Fault in Our Stars by John Green. So especially a lot of my earlier songs were about fictitious characters, fictitious couples. Did you actively look for inspiration in those places or would it come to you out of the blue without expecting it to? Um, it would, I, I don't actively look for inspiration in most things. There are certain times where I will try and I will try too hard and it just doesn't happen. But like, uh, uh, there's a game called Assassin's Creed 3. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk a lot about Assassin's Creed. I've written like no, three do. songs also, inspired by Assassin's I don't Creed. have any gaming knowledge so please go for oh, it oh it's so good okay so assassin's creed 3 i've written i actually wrote two songs inspired by assassin's creed and one of them was just i was inspired by connor just on the whole but there's this one line between uh these two characters named zio and haytham haytham kenway is who you play as in the beginning he's actually a templar not an assassin okay. so he's technically a bad guy but you grow to like him quite a bit um but i, I think i can't remember the full line but they were talking about like he said this line like and yet i remain like they were supposed supposed to be like separating at some point but he was like and yet i remain and then she brought it up at some point where he said well you were said this thing and she's like and yet i remain and i was like i was just really inspired by that and yet i remain thing and i ended up writing a song with that i didn't actively look for and yet i remain but i played the game through like two or three times and that always stuck out did you know as soon as you heard the phrase oh this is this is a song or was it something that developed over time yeah, like I literally like in that second, I like I, like I'm, I'm reading it. Haytham's like, and yet I remain. And in my head, I'm just like, and yet I remain. And I'm like, ooh, writing the right, the right, right, the rest of that down. Once you get an idea, how do you start putting that idea? What is the first thing you do to make sure you don't forget it? I open the notes app and just hope I remember the melody. Okay. Um, sometimes I'll remember it based on how many letters and like syllables there are, and just hope I remember the rhythm because of that. Um, I'll record it on voice memos if I really remember, like just if, in case it's really not sticking. With technology nowadays, it's so easy to capture ideas, which is awesome. Yeah. 
so many people, I think you just wake up with a tune in your head and you can just like roll over in your bed and pick up your phone and mumble it in there, right? And you've got yourself yeah. a potential song idea, which is really cool. Yeah, that happened to me this morning. Really? Yeah, I don't know. And um, Again, I'm not sure when this song's ever going to be released, but the line popped in my head and just, I'm falling again. And I'm like, oh, okay. I've got the rest of the idea already. You are also a fantastic craftswoman. We've talked about this. Oh, yeah. Or crafts, uh, to make it non-gender specific, you love to make things with knitting, with crocheting. You have an incredible facility with crafting things. Yeah. When did that start? Well, Ariel had picked up knitting early on, and I tried, and I couldn't do it. Uh, so I picked up a loom, like a knitting loom, and I did that for probably four years until I realized, you know what, this makes my hands hurt, so I'm going to find something that's not quite as harsh on my hands. Like, I would literally have, like, just blisters all over my hands because I'd be crafting for so long. And that's when I picked up crocheting, and that's just been... I think I've been crocheting... How long? How old is Phoebe? Phoebe seven. I've been crocheting for seven years. Is it something that you've always done for pleasure? Is it something that you find other kinds of fulfillment in? Uh, it definitely... I mean, it's definitely for pleasure. It's very much... A, a hobby. I try to do it every day if I can. Sometimes I can't. That's okay. Um, we just opened a Etsy store this year, so finally, like pleasure meets making some some money off of. Sure. Because you know, we craft so much all the time. We just got stuff building up in our room. We're like, you know what? People have been asking us to open the Etsy store. It's time. But there is something really fulfilling about being like when you're making a stuffed animal and you put the safety eyes in. That's and it's looking back at you. Like it's there's something really oddly fulfilling about it. It's like it's like it's almost like it has a soul it's looking back at you and it's like i made that i mean people say that when they actually like have a baby so i'm sure this is not the same but it feels it feels good and like when you make a garment and it fits like you put it on and you try it on and it actually fits there is nothing better than wearing a sweater that you made that fits and i'm saying this as somebody who has made three sweaters and finally the third one fits do you have a favorite thing you've made um favorite thing Ooh, we talked about the anime Oron High School Host Club. I'm actually drinking a mug with it right now. Yeah, there's, so this character, Honey, in the corner of this mug, you can see he's holding like a plush bunny. Like this really cute bunny, really big, big, soft, plush ears. So he, this bunny's name is Usachan, like Usagi, but Usachan. Okay. Um, I crocheted a huggable, like it's called cuddle size when it's actually big enough to cuddle. But I made a cuddle size velvet Usachan, and I think that's still my favorite thing that I have made to this day. Oh, wait, I take it back. I used the Usachan pattern, uh, but I changed it around a little bit. And I made a lick a tongue. And so that the ear fantastic. pattern became the tongue instead of an ear. And uh, that one, I think that's actually my favorite thing I made was, was the lick a tongue, the velvet lick a tongue. That's great. That's yeah. awesome. Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Uh, just one thing I wanted to make sure I mention is that in addition to the links that we'll have in the show notes for Zoe's work and where you can find her, we're also going to be including some links to uh, organizations led by and in support of Black, Indigenous, and people of color, uh, links to things about anti-racist initiatives, about uh, equity in the arts. I really wanted to find a way to incorporate these because I have some friends who also have a podcast have done something similar and I find it really inspiring that they were able to use the podcast as a platform for not just what they're talking about but also to promote the work of those who aren't heard from as often as they should be. The links that we'll be including in our show notes are 
really a starter list. There are things that I have found incredibly useful in moving forward and taking more action. And it's also a list that we want to keep growing. So please, if you have recommendations, send them our way at feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. And also, I am still figuring out how my voice uh, fits in, if at all, into these kind of conversations. So if you have feedback about that, please also send that our way. Um, I want to make sure that these aren't coming off in any sort of way that would be negatively affecting these um, causes and these organizations. With all that being said, thank you guys for listening to this um, and enjoy the rest of the episode. You mentioned before when you were talking about passion meeting, making money off something, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's an inflection point that a lot of us get to because something that a lot of us work towards, especially people who are quote unquote creative in their career or their pursuit to make a living, there's that inflection point of this is something I've been doing because I love it and now I want to make it the thing that I sustain myself doing. Yeah. You hit that point kind of early on by yeah. doing the TV show and making the music, which you love doing, yeah. the thing that you also used as your your way of making a living. Mm-hmm. Does that ever impact your passion for music or for knitting when you both use it as your thing that you do because you love it, but also the thing you do as a job? Well, the nice thing about like the Etsy shop in particular is you can open and close it as needed. Oh, that's cool. It's also, since we just started it this month, it's been pretty slow. Uh, so there's no rush on Give it time. getting Give new time. things out. So, I mean, it's like, the nice thing is I can work on like what I guess I'd call stock uh, projects in my free time because the stuff that we're selling isn't very big at the moment. We've got some Dumbo octopi, some D&D dice pouches. I'm working on some scrunchies right now because scrunchies seem to be very in right now. <laughs> I've got some pineapples on hold. I've got some other octopi on hold. Great. So the nice thing about that is like, at least I have things for a while. Like that'll be sustained for a while. And if should like, let's say snot go on tour, this, this, the shop can close for a little while and it'll be fine. From knowing you, I know music really runs deep in you as a person. I think you yeah. really experience music in a very visceral way. How do you feel about that relationship between music being your passion like that and it also being a job in some senses? I mean, if I were to compare it, it's sort of like, it's sort of like how my, my dad is also like my manager and the founder of Snot and he's always there. I mean, it's like we're still family. Sometimes it sometimes we butt heads, but we're still family. I'm going to say the same thing about music. Some, sometimes it's like there and it is ready and it is just like the ideas are flowing. And sometimes it's just tired and it's it's not going to budge at that moment. And that's OK, too. You know, it's it's like that friend where you, when they're around, it's great. And when they're not around, it's a little bit frustrating. But what are the things you do? when it's being stubborn or when it's being frustrating? I'll just typically turn to a different hobby and just hope that maybe something with it, like when I'm crocheting, I watch a lot of TV. So I'm just hoping maybe whatever show I'm watching will have some bit of inspiration in it. I, I love doing a good like Netflix binge while crocheting. What's your go-to binge show? Uh, well, currently it's actually a Hulu show, but there's this, well, it's not dedicated to Hulu, but Hulu does stream it. Uh, it's another anime called My Hero Academia. I have heard of this show. I have not watched it, but I have heard of it. You would love it. It is, like, honestly so good. I, Oh, my God. There's this character named All Might, and I just, 
I love him. I just he he gives me hope. I love I love All Might. I hope I can be like All Might one day. Now we've talked about your crocheting. We've talked about your music. Mm-hmm. Um, when you introduce yourself to somebody, what do you say you do? Uh, I say I'm a musician and like a singer songwriter. Okay. Because that's definitely what comes first. But like my even my Instagram bio starts with singer songwriter musician 2015 daytime Emmy nominee, and then it goes into the nerd stuff. Because I don't know. I feel like you know people might read the first line first, especially if you're like looking for like a brand deal or something. So I put that first. But then if they they keep reading, they realize oh a person a human this is cool hopefully or not cool but like not cool in just the right way like i mean hot topic found me so that was a good fit hot topic found you how did that happen i was literally at lunch with a friend one day and i was looking for something on instagram to pull up as a reference and um i noticed i had a direct message and i figured i'd just check it really quick and it was hot topic and they said hi zoe we love your style what's a good email address we want you to become a hot topic ambassador and i'm kind of just sitting there at the lunch table shaking and i'm like guys i just got a message from hot topic and um, I've done a few campaigns for them now. And that, that's, that's really cool. Really cool. So now you can add Hot Topic campaign person to your yeah. list of your growing resume. Yeah, an HT fanatic, as we are called. HT fanatic. All right. Yeah. I, I, thank you for correcting my terminology. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, no problem. You mentioned Instagram. I know social media is a big part of your life, a big part of the group's life. Mm-hmm. When did your relationship with social media start? Well, I started on Instagram just for fun, like with a private account early, early on when I was probably 13. Yeah, I think of 12 or 13. And only my friends followed the page. It was a private account. It was mostly pictures of Phoebe who had just been born. Um, and then that, when I started cosplaying, I'm like, I'm going to make this account public. I'm going to make it an anonymous name and I'm just going to make it a cosplay page and I'm never going to post pictures of myself. It's just going to be cosplay. And then... Our Facebook page, which is, you know, not an anonymous page. That is like the band page. They, we started posting cosplay pics there. And I'm like, and my brain was just like, okay, my Instagram account has like only 100 followers, which was cool at the time. It was like super cool. I'm like, oh my gosh, 100. 100 people wanted to see my cosplays. And I was going by Ringo. 100 people wanted to see Ringo's cosplays. There you go. And um, then, of course, I go onto the Facebook page. And I'm like, oh, crap, there are cosplay pictures here. Somebody might trace it. And it's like, it's such a small chance. But I was like, somebody might trace this. And I'm like okay, I'm going to just put up a post as to who I really am. I post a picture out of cosplay. And I was like, yeah, my name's actually Zoe. And I'm a singer. I'm a songwriter. I write music. And I'm on these television shows. And I mean, I guess I was smart to finally post it because turns out a couple of followers knew the show, which was funny that they didn't like, they didn't recognize us in the wigs and the makeup. So I guess it was a, a good job of hiding. But it's, yeah, it's it has not been like a strictly cosplay account since then. And have you kept your account with yourself public in that way or do you have individual accounts how do you handle that i'm currently managing two accounts i manage my social media and i manage my puppet's social media and who is your puppet oh her name is busy i just thought it'd be funny to make her an instagram account oh wait three i have an etsy shop i manage that page too oh wow you're a maven of social media yeah and then Facebook, does that is that something where you have an account there or is that something that's more for publicity? Um, I monitor the comments. So if there's a nasty comment, I hide it. And if there's a really, really rude one, I delete it. Do you find social media overall to be a source of inspiration? How do you see that interacting with the work that you actually do or the music you create? I mean, it depends. On, like, I, I do follow some people who I guess would be a source of inspiration. Uh, I like to try to follow as many like inspiring people as I can. 
like I follow some makeup artists and I follow some cosplayers and I follow, of course, you know, every Marvel guy in the cinematic universe because I just think they're great. But like if I can draw like I don't know if I draw like songwriting inspiration per se, but I definitely find like some artistic inspiration from the people I follow. And then when people interact with your work on social media, whether that's the Etsy shop or the music, how does that impact you? Uh, good attention feels good. Great attention feels great. Hate makes me laugh. When somebody actually buys something from the Etsy shop, but it's just it just feels great. I love going to the post office. I love shipping them. Um, I like receiving nice messages. I like even the hate, like really hate just makes me laugh. It's just like they, they could be doing anything in the world and they chose to spend, God, like five to 10 minutes writing something elaborate and mean. And I'm like, hey, thanks for spending some time with me today. <laughs> it's like you could have been doing anything else. You could have been putting some positive energy out there, but you chose to spend it with me. And that's really fun. I'm glad you chose that time wisely. Were you always able to take it in that way? Well, it's interesting. I used to the, the mean comments are the ones that stick out first. And it's really like we just I guess humans just have a negative bias just na- just naturally. It's not that I'm a negative person, but like the hate comments are so clever, you know, like they, they stick out because it's like, you know, th- there could be like five comments that say beautiful, like literally just just beautiful, maybe like an emoji in there somewhere. But then someone could be like, God, you have weird looking ears. And it's like, that's so clever. I never thought about that. And like and it sticks out because like huh, like somebody once asked me, how'd you break your nose? Never broken it. I was born with this. And I'm like. That's cool. I'm glad you took some time to really point out some something you find to be a flaw. But then my dad was like, can you tell me like five nice comments that you received? And I'm like, oh, that's a really good way to think about it. Why don't we pay attention? It's something we should really do more is just pay attention to the to the nice comments. Like the first time somebody told me I brought in a picture of you to my hairdresser because I wanted your haircut. I just thought that was the highest honor. That's really cool. Yeah. Because like, I don't know. I felt for some reason that's when I felt like, oh, I made it. Somebody wanted my haircut. The little things, right? It's the little things, yeah. Or when someone like posts the cover of a song, and that just warms my heart. Like they spent time actually, like, because we haven't posted the lyrics. I don't even know where to post lyrics in general. Like, I don't think it would work very well on Facebook because you might have to log in or something. But I honestly don't know how Facebook works. The fact that that's happened the way it's happened, I we I owe that to my dad and our my manager. He just gets it. I honestly don't understand how Facebook works, and I'll just log on and be like, "Oh, cool, that happened." Um, but yeah, it's just like when people take time out of their day to like, like do something inspired by you, that's, it's very rewarding. Does social media ever feel like a part of your job? Uh, definitely. Because a lot of, a lot of people now, like a lot of people reach out through social media these days, like brand collaborations tend to happen through social media. Cause like, like with a hot topic, they, they found me through Instagram and then they asked me about it like what email was good because that's where I'd be getting the campaigns through my email. But like, it seems to be where a lot of it's happening now is Instagram deals. And it's, I think that's interesting. I don't know how people used to do it because I'm like, honestly, it's such a new concept to me, like influencers and like, I, that was not like a thing a couple of years ago. And, and if it was, I was not familiar with it, but. Well, I mean, social media has become such a huge part of the fabric of our world, let alone the yeah. creative world. Right. And I think that it is, a huge way that people can express themselves to show their work like you do to express their thoughts, right? Like their opinions. And it's developed so quickly that I think we're all, I know I am, I'm still trying to figure out how that fits in with actual interaction and with like in person interaction. So like when you have the opportunity to meet with fans in person, does that feel the same as when you interact with people through social media? 
oh gosh i am a way cooler person on instagram than in real life i'm on instagram i'm like this like like i've got like this sort of like moody um emo kind of thing going on maybe not emo because like i wear too bright of colors i think but like i i've got this like i don't know the zoe on instagram is a lot different from the zoe in person i am way more shy in person um when people tell me that they like a certain thing that i did i just i just start blushing and i can't think of words and like i'm i am such an awkward shy mess when people especially when people start compliment i'm so bad with taking compliments because i don't really know what to do afterwards especially when they keep pouring them on it's like i've already said thank you like 10 times i'm like is it okay to say it an 11th time um i just but like on instagram you know if you come up with a witty response it's like you can take your time to come up with a witty response in real life if you take two minutes and then you come back to it someone's already forgotten what you were just talking about you know so there's more pressure in person, you think? I think it's just because I'm not, I, I'm definitely sharper and uh, moodier on Instagram than I am in real life. I mean, I might be moody in real life, but I definitely presented more on Instagram. Do you think of your personality on Instagram, like you're talking about, mm-hmm. as being another part of you or something that's almost separate from your quote unquote real personality? I'd say she's like similar but different. Because, I mean, uh, I don't know. People tend like people will like comment about like, um, and this is so funny because I never really talk about this like publicly. But like, people are just like, "Wow, she just seems so happy. Look, she's got all these friends. She must have a great boyfriend." And like, oh man, she must just be making music all the time. And just and I'm like, like chances are on a on a on a normal day, I am sitting at home trying to work on uh, getting some OCD behaviors under control. And probably talking to maybe, like, one or two people maybe, like, once or twice a day. The boyfriend thing always gets me um, because it's none of their business. (laughs) I just, I think it's so funny when they assume, like, especially when I sing, like, a duet with my guy friends. Like, I sang a duet with you. I sang a duet with Noah Kaiserman. And I remember with Noah Kaiserman that someone commented, are they dating? Please say it isn't so. And I'm like, no, Noah's my friend. But yeah, people get sometimes will get really weird if I just if I just look at a boy in a certain way, they're just like, oh, bump this boyfriend. So people read into situations sometimes on they social do. media that aren't actually realities. Yeah, and it's 2020. Girls can be friends with boys. I'll ask one more thing. What's inspiring you right now? What right now gets you gets you going? Gets you writing? Gets you writing in your notes app? Oh, man. Um. Well, when it comes to songwriting. I mean, just like in middle school, it's always some sort of romantic theme, whether it's a happy sort of theme, like, oh, yeah, I'm happy. Everything's great. Um, like, for instance, I'm, I, titles are fine. I can release titles. I wrote a song recently called When the World is Black and White, which is about um, I, I really wanted this one to end sad. I was telling you about this before we started filming, uh, recording this. But I wanted the song to end sadly. I wanted, like, you know, the world to be black and white. And then you meet this lovely guy and he just turns the world into a bunch of flashy colors. And I wanted the world to turn black and white again. I thought that'd be the most dramatic, like, thing that I could do was turn the world black and white again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't. I was newly sort of crushing on a guy. And I was like, oh, the world is so colorful right now. But then, like, on the other hand, uh, I just, I wrote a song earlier this year called Weightless, which is about, um sort of looking back at an old relationship and sort of falling back into that feeling of wanting them again, despite the fact that you know it's bad for you and just wanting to feel, you know, weightless again, like getting the weights, the weight of that off. And that that's usually the theme is like sort of just the weight of old relationships. 
just you know like former friendships if you honestly you can turn anything into a romantic relationship if you try hard enough i like that yeah that's a good way to wrap things up yeah zoe thank you so much i really appreciate you taking the time yeah thanks for having me of course yeah (laughs) and i'm excited to hear your songs when they come out uh is there anything you want to plug anything you want to preview for people before we finish up well considering i mentioned the etsy shop that is called ranger and rogue shop we're etsy.com slash shop slash ranger and rogue shop awesome i love that very cool well thank you so much zoe thanks for having me appreciate it i hope you guys enjoyed that one uh before we wrap up i wanted to make sure to mention that zoe's latest single weightless is available on apple music spotify all the streaming platforms and that she's also working on a new album as well and that should hopefully be coming very soon um and also in the show notes uh where i'll put the links for her songs i also wanted to again plug those resources for um anti-racist groups and bipoc activist groups please check those out if you have a second i really appreciate that if you want to learn more about the show and send us some feedback, our website is creativeconsumptionpodcast.com, and you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Creative Consumption Podcast, and on Twitter as at underscore create consume. Uh, finally, with this being the first episode, I just want to give um, some thank yous. This has been a project that's been a long time in the making. And so I just want to shout out uh, Rob Schneider, Gabe Templin, uh, Pascal Dizen, who did the incredible podcast artwork for this. Um, and finally, a huge shout out to the co-creator, social media manager, and partner in crime on this show, Nathan Schwartzberg. Uh, you actually did hear Nathan on the episode. He composed the theme that you're hearing right now. Um, so yeah, he's a fantastic creator himself. Thank you guys again for listening to this first episode. Stay tuned for some future interviews. Be well and stay safe.